Escape from Plan A. This is Teen. Welcome to another. I guess I don't know if this is going to be like a free or a bonus one, but it's a it's another episode nonetheless. Um, and uh, I've, this one's pretty cool. It's it's one that we it's a format that I haven't tried before. So uh, one of the patrons, yay! Thanks for uh, con- contributing to the to the Patreon. Uh, one of the patrons, Kong, is actually uh, on the line with me all the way in. Are you in Sydney or Sydney? Yeah, Sydney. you're in Sydney. Okay, yeah. So Kong, how's it going, man? How are you? How are you? I'm good, thank you. Thank you for having me. Um, I, yeah, this is a. Uh, it's really cool to actually be on the other side because I've, <laughs> I would say I've like religiously listened to, um, nearly like all the last fifty podcasts. I would say I've like religiously listened to like every single one or like ninety percent of them. So it is it is cool to be on the other side. Okay. Well, I mean, I mean, glad it's. It sounds like it's a conversation that is of relevance to. I guess what you're thinking is is maybe why you listen, right? Like it's the is it, it's the topics I'm guessing and the um the the uh the substance of what we're trying to get at. Definitely, and I I think another thing is just that you don't really get this conversation. It, it's hard to find this conversation. It's definitely not in the mainstream, and it's not even it's not super common amongst Asians either. So uh, I mean, like just the mainstream everyday kind of Asian guy, Asian girl. It's not it's not super common either. And another thing is maybe I'm just like a history nut, and I love history. I just find like your like Plan A tends to like blend a really nice mix of like history and sociology and um, politics, and that's just so up my alley. So huge. Oh, that's fan. great. <laughs> uh, that, well, it, it, see, this is interesting because okay, so for context. You DM'd me in the patron Discord and had sort of brought up, uh, which I'll let you kind of go over uh, what the question mm-hmm. was, because I wanted to, when you asked me that, I was like, damn, we need to talk about this. Because when we first started out with, you know, a bunch, it was basically just a bunch of online friends, I think like eight or nine of us, maybe more. We were like, yeah, we, you know, we're having all these conversations amongst ourselves as friends. And why are we not recording or otherwise committing this on some kind of record? Because after it's over and I get, hang up the phone with my friend or we end the chat, it, it just kind of disappears. And one of the first things that we did uh, that was sort of foundational to the idea of why we wanted to do this thing, which we've been doing for like three years now or more is, was it three, maybe four years? Uh, I don't know if it's that long, but the, but the, uh, one of the central, one of the first articles was what if Asian guys fall to the alt-right? That was something Mm. Chris wrote and we had some podcasts about it. And I felt that, uh, Chris had done a really good job and it was part of a discussion that all of us have been having because we perceived that there was a resonance to what some on the right, the quote right wing in uh, particularly alt-right, were saying that was in a way emotionally more resonant and perhaps a little bit more honest uh, than what was being said by the the quote left or the or the liberal, uh, you know, um, in liberal circles, 
especially yeah, like on campuses and things like that. So we had talked about like quite seriously the prediction that there were going to be, and, and that wasn't just a prediction. And we saw this happening too, that there would be Asian, particularly Asian guys, but not only Asian guys. And we've seen that too. On It's both Asian men and women who have in a way been tempted or lured uh, into right-wing circles. And we wanted to say, like, there needs to be an alternative. Like, if that's going to happen, we need to put up some kind of fight or alternative where you can, be, you know, critique and criticize what's going on in liberal circles without the right, alt-right or other reactionary type spaces being your only alternative. Um, and so when you asked me this, you know, and you had, and I'll let you, sorry, I don't mean to uh, 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 monopolize the time here, but no, you had asked me a question that I thought was very on the, on the, you know, right, uh, a fat softball right down the middle in terms of like what we were really uh, interested in, mm. you know, so I'll, uh, I'll uh, give it to you in terms of like whether, how to, what question it is that you wanted to discuss uh, okay yeah um before before i go into my question can i quickly like go into yeah, how i like ended up in this position so of course um, yeah please uh, that's i'm interested in all of that yeah okay sweet so i uh i've always really liked things like uh politics and philosophy and history so i've always like found ideas to be quite um interesting and then when i when i got into politics i think what like originally I was more left wing and then I moved to like, like very noticeably to the right. Um, like um, even to the point, I think there are times when like I found the ideology of like the alt right somewhat like appealing. So, so, you know, when, when you're writing, when uh, Chris wrote that article, I, I think there were shades of me where I was like, Oh, that's kind of like me. So um, that, so I, I think part of the reason I moved into that direction was uh i think firstly the right wing is pretty good at like marketing so the you know i know this sounds kind of um cringy now i look back but the ben shapiro like owns like oh that's epic you know feminist gets wrecked kind of videos mm. uh you know particularly for being you know a kind of younger age and then you combine that with just like a sense of disillusionment with the liberal class now i'm not american but i do follow american politics like quite um intensely and mm -hmm. just a sense of dis disillusionment with like you know you know for example just like the um the signing of uh corrective i'm wrong but like tpp with like bill clinton and just move like just a, a sense of like the liberal class the mainstream class was kind of selling out uh, on its um on its populace and that like mainstream politics uh was just hindered by uh, political, you know, politically correct speech and all that. And I think as, as you kind of get into that rabbit hole, you move, you know, you, the, the, the accounts you start following on Twitter tend to be more right wing. And then the YouTube, YouTube sources tend to be more right wing. And then, you know, slowly and slowly you move uh, to the right. So that, um, that was like, I think for like a year and a half, two years, I like openly like identified as like conservative, um, and Can I let me ask you about that? You brought up yeah. the TPP, right? Yeah. Was your objection to that more of an economic populist type objection, uh, where you were like, "This is just more like 
of the typical free trade agreements where you're going to ship jobs overseas? Uh, or was it more of a, you know, like foreign policy thing where we're like, oh, why, you know, this seems to be uh, poking the dragon that's China or what, what was the objection there? My, my objection was more the economic front. I, I felt like mm. a lot of times the, um, and I think this actually, um, this really was the, the part of the force bits behind Trump, his idea of like, let's bring jobs back, you know, like the political elites are, you know, like selling us out and stuff like that. Um, so my objection to TPP was just like you, it's neoliberal uh, policies, which have like eaten out the middle class. Um, thus, you know, the, you know, the Clintons or the, you know, the Bush or whoever, the, these politicians who have like um, uh, uh, implemented this uh, a part of the, the swamp. And, and that was in some ways the appeal of Trump. Um, um, yeah. I, yeah. At the same time, like I still thought he was pretty crazy and he was like sexist and the stuff he said was like ridiculous. But um, I guess, and, and even now, like he looks, he looks much worse than he did like four years ago. But I would say like things such as like Clinton, Hillary Clinton, like actively talking about war with Russia and stuff like that. Um, that just, you know, even as an Australian, pretty terrified me. Mm-hmm. Oh, sorry. What about Russia? You mean her, uh, the, the hawkishness or. Yes. Her, her hawkishness. Mm-hmm. And, and um, from memory, she talked about establishing a no fly zone over Syria or something. And then, I think Mattis or someone like that, um, like when he was asked, like, how, how would that be possible? He just said stuff like, you know, we'd have to go to war. And um, on the on the right wing, uh, the, the meme landscape, there was a lot of memes talking about like, you know, he for she. That was, oh, I think that was Hillary Clinton's like slogan, except they would Photoshop like women at war or something like that uh, with Russia. Because um, I think at that time, the right wing, uh, was under the impression uh, or believed that Hillary Clinton was much more pro-war uh, and much more pro, uh, you know, war of Russia than Trump was. Right, 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 right. And and I and I think the 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 I mean, regardless of 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 Trump's uh, failures, I I mean I think that's kind of right. I mean I think the, the, the Democrats have been super hawkish on Russia and continue mm-hmm. to be super and, super hawkish. Um, yeah, and it's just I don't know why we do that, but um, I mean I might I have my theories. I, I don't know. There's probably a, a huge number of reasons why that happens. But anyway, that's the background. But what mm-hmm. about the, uh, uh, the the specific question? Uh, okay. Yeah. Okay. So um, I, I was just like thinking. These were just some thoughts that I had, and and I, I was just wondering if these if these ideas and these questions were remnants of like my conservative days because I, I do think I've shifted like noticeably, like significantly to the left. Um, and I, and, but these questions are always like in the back of my head, questions about like transgender, um, you know, like race realism. That's, that's usually what the right calls it. Um, and for, for example, something that actually used to bring me, um, uh, yeah, it's, I wonder if it's kind of cringy, but like used to bring me some kind of joy or pride. I, I maybe not joy, pride was, um, I once saw this like IQ chart and it said like um, people in the, the city with the highest IQ was, um, was Hong Kong, I, I believe of like 108 or 109 or something like that. And mm-hmm. I was like, Oh, that's really cool. That you know, that gives me a, you know, a sense of pride, uh, wh- whether it's deserved or not, that that's another question. And then, you know, that, that 
goes down, you know, the slippery track of, uh, if, if you've ever seen like Roaming Millennial and like Lauren Chan, uh, these, these ideas of like, you know, we're not, we're not racist. Um, you know, we're not like purposely trying to like lock black people or Middle Eastern people up. Uh, but there is just like a difference in IQ, which makes, you know, like, for example, East Asian societies or white societies more like, you know, stable and stuff. And, um, and there was just like questions of like, is there such, you know, is it really the heart of it? Is it, is there a difference in IQ uh, or, or whatever genetic, you know, or whatever factor you may ask? And secondly, if there is a difference, is this uh, a, is this nurture or is this the um, uh, nature? Right, right. Yeah, I mean, that, 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 that question has, has, has been weirdly front and center in America for as long as I remember way back when I was a kid, there was a, there's a Charles Murray who, who um, his name has kind of popped up again. Um, and this time more politicized. I think when he first appeared, I think sometime in the early nineties with this book called the bell curve, which is all about IQ. And it was the sort of, sort of first mainstream race science book in America that had uh, uh, that had really sort of come about in sort of a new lib in the liberal modern era. Now this book comes out called The Bell Curve, which is supposedly had impeccable, you know, research and funding behind it and all this stuff. And at that time, Charles Murray was seen as a, a real, quote, social scientist. Mm -hmm. um, same thing. It, it was very simple. Here are the races in America. And here are the bell curve charts of their average IQ. And uh, whites are here. And uh, blacks are there and Asians are there. Right. Mm -hmm. And, uh, you know, there was a very clear trend in the data that showed that black people had lower IQ, materially lower IQs than, say, the white population that was part of the study. And then lo and behold, the Asians had the higher one. Mm -hmm. It's just a story you hear constantly. And, and, and in part of it, I mean you know part of it is is in my opinion is part it's 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 a way of covering it's the white people you know their main struggle here is to you know uh sort of punt responsibility uh about the um you know the state of racial inequality in um in america i'll I'll talk about america um as a sort of um uh you know a, a natural function of something that may might be immutable um, but in certainly is not necessarily racism. It's not, you know, racial animus. It's something else. It's, mm, oh, we it's live in an information realism. age. Yeah, we live in an information age where IQ is crucial to, you know, economic well-being. And of course, if you have lower IQ, we're not saying it's your genetics, but nonetheless, the data says that you have lower IQs. Well, then you would expect that you would have a lower outcome than the whites. And of course, the Asians are the sort of cherry on top. We're not a threatening group in, in America, so they don't have any problem, you know, flattering us to say, oh, see, they're, we're, we're not white supremacists here because we're, we'll easily admit that the Asians are definitely smarter than us. Uh, and, and commensurately, they do better. So they, they actually make more money than the whites. And, you know, and so it was a very like at that time, a very tidy little argument that sort of like satisfied all necessary parties to some extent. Um, definitely. Definitely. You know what I mean? Like it was a plausible enough explanation for us to sort of punt aside the harder question 
uh, of racism. Definitely. And and yeah. I think like, yeah. even when I moved down that, like that, even when I like grappled with ideas of like race realism and, you know, if it is true, if it's not true, um, I, I always had in my back, back in my mind, I always felt like, I always knew that like it was being used as a cover. So even if it was real or not real, it was being used by like, um, a cover against like affirmative action. Um, and that was like, it's political or social motivation in like why certain groups, particularly like the right wing conservative groups were mentioning it a lot. So, um, yeah, I, I even though like I, I was like, you know, looking at material like that, like it always in my head was a justification, uh, to give white people or, or white groups, like the facade of equality. I think that's I think that's right. I mean, I, I I mean I agree with this notion. I mean, I when I when you asked that question, I I thought about it and I thought to myself like what do I you know, what do I think about it? And I don't believe in race essentialism, meaning I don't think that there are material differences of genetics because this is a genetic argument. Mm-hmm. I mean, I, and that's the other thing is they're often trying to say it's not genetic, meaning like we're open to the ideas of non-genetic explanations, mm-hmm. but like it's genetic. You know what I mean? Like they're, they're they're saying it's like there's something essential to the quality of these people versus my people, and you could call it culture, you could whatever, but the key is that it's not mutable, meaning like it's inherent to who you are, and you can't change it, and therefore we shouldn't try to change it, and so we should just accept the inequalities as they are, and so I think it is kind of important to some extent whether it's true or not. Uh, but I think also before we even get to that question, I think, um, there are certain things that race realism, whether it's true or not, you're right. It doesn't matter. Like there are clear, uh, there are clear things happening in society that even if it were true, which I'm not conceding, but even if it were true, it wouldn't make a difference as to whether we need to do something about this. For example, uh, you know, state, state sanctioned police murder. Right. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, um, the historical things like redlining and segregation, mm-hmm. uh, things like that. And, um, you know, the, the vast economic inequalities to me uh, are cannot be explained away, even if race realism was true, because I just think it's a socially unacceptable outcome. And I think that's why I'm not. A li- like, and here's the other thing, maybe we'll get to this at some point, but like, I'm like, I'm with you on this. Like the reason I kind of understood this whole like temptation of the right wing thing is because it's not, I don't consider myself at all a right wing person. I think if anything, I'm probably much more left wing. I don't really like to categorize what I am, but cause I, I, I don't know. I don't really think in those terms, but I do think that what I, what I, de- I'm like you, like I'm definitely like more interested in a anti-liberal critique. And when it comes to the liberals, they'll say stuff like, oh, we only care about, you know, equality of opportunity. Uh, but, you know, it is, uh, you know, it is a, a disaster, a historical disaster to want his, uh, equality of outcome. Mm. And I think when people yeah. say that, you know, when a ben, Sh- ben Shapiro says that or like a Sargon of Akkad says that everyone starts clapping because it sounds great, but it's a really dumb idea in a way because, it there's really, no like, if you're dialectical about it there's no such thing as an opportunity versus an outcome there's and, and, and you can't divide the world into opportunities and outcome and it really you tends know. to like um i would say 
like ideas like that tend to uh, preserve the hierarchy, uh, the, the current day status of the, these ideas of like, you know, just let everyone compete on a, it's a completely even playing field. And um, yeah, so, so I would agree with that as well. Yeah, like take college admissions, right? Like, like we, we talk all the time in America, and I'm sure in, in Australia too, about access to universities, right? And it's a competitive thing. Like, you know, you, we've got to compete to get into the top tier universities. Is that an outcome or an opportunity? I mean, it's both, right? Like, like all things, it's like what college I end up getting into is a function of the, you know, it's a function, therefore an outcome of how I did it in, you know, primary, in, in uh, high school, we call it. And um, so therefore the, the college that I attend is an outcome. But the college I attend is also an opportunity in the sense that it is a way, you know, it is now time for me to enter college and then prove myself. And uh, I presumably they're springboard into my, in, into my professional life. So it's also a, uh, an opportunity. And I think that's the problem with liberals is they're very atomistic thinkers and they can't think mm-hmm. in a more dialectical way where things are constantly in, either in constant flux in relationship with each other. Where it's like your, your every moment of your life is a combination of outcome and opportunity. You know, opportunity is the past and uh, outcome is the future. That's it. So every moment, mm-hmm. you know, so, so I just I just feel like they're they're playing cute with it. And it, it, it's a meaningless thing that sounds nice, but, you know, offers no practical guidance in terms of things. So I, I don't know what what's wrong with at least some minimal level, some some basic level of, oppor- you know, equality of outcome. Mm-hmm. I don't I don't get why that's so anathema to them. Um, do you, do you, uh, I remember watching this YouTube video with this, um, I think his name is Eddie Huang, like the yeah. chef guy. Is that, is that yeah. him? Okay. Yeah, and, yeah. and he was talking with this like right wing, um, Jared Taylor, probably, I uh, yeah, I, I'm not hundred percent sure, but he was talking with him mm-hmm. and then, and this is where like I saw, you know, even wh- whether race realism is correct or it's, it's not correct. Um, I think it's really important for Asians to not buy into, into it. Um, and we can discuss whether it is correct or not correct later, but, um, oh, sorry, incorrect later. But, mm-hmm. uh, I remember like Jared, uh, oh, if that's his name, the, the right wing white guy said, mm-hmm. yeah, like, you know, kind Asians of an older guy, right? Yeah. Older dude in the yeah. suit. Um, and yeah. he said, yeah, that's like, uh, Asians have the highest IQ. I would be, you know, I would definitely support like, you know, an Asian, immigration or something like that and to me that just wrong that just came off as so false like i knew as soon as he said that i'm like you don't actually want like an asian president or you don't actually want you know asians in positions of power and ceo ceo or you know controlling hollywood but you like us as the facade and that's what always came through yeah. to me even when i like i said started delving into that stuff i think so um Though I think with Jared Taylor, um, is that his name? Jared Taylor. Yeah. I think he's the dude with, he has an Asian wife. Does he? Uh, yeah. <laughs> and yeah, no. and I think a lot of these, Surprise. you know, that, that happens a lot too. I think mm-hmm. they have this sort of like paternalistic attitudes towards Asian people and they'll be mm-hmm. like, like a lot of the, the right wing, the alt writers had um, Asian wives and stuff and uh mm-hmm. There was a sort of like paternalistic attitude towards Asians that really mm. turned me off. But, you know, for a lot of like anxiety, race anxious people, um, 
uh, Asians in America, I feel like they're kind of suckered into it. Yeah, you know, definitely. Like, oh, he's saying something nice, you know. Yeah, it, it's that way of the social think, hierarchy. Yeah, and just safety too. I mean, I, I think there is social hierarchy, but there's also st- just a measure of safety. I mean, mm. you know, like being a, a slightly more charitable. Um, you know, if you if you perceive you're living in this super hostile white supremacist environment and you realize that there's like a place for you where you won't get killed mm-hmm. i could see i could see that it's not just you know opportunistic social climbing but also self-preservation i mean i mm. i'm more sympathetic to self-preservation than social climbing mm. <laughs> so i'll throw that out there um but it's wrong nonetheless i agree mm. can we um, t- can we talk about like yeah. um th- like now we're both like in agreement, and and I and I think most of our your audience, sorry, not not our audience, your audience would would agree with that. Um, ours, uh, can, yeah, can, ours, can we yeah. talk about um, yeah. like so so for example, I just want to throw a few questions at you and uh, see like um, in terms of race realism, and and these are still some questions which like I don't think I fully um, understood or like gotten an answer, and and I just want to see like how how you respond to it. Um, yeah, sure. So, so for example, um, so talking about like race realism, and uh, I recognize this is also a cover, but uh, the right wing tends to say, for example, um, there are more, uh, you know, men tend to be more more violent through, uh, and that might be gender essentialism, such as men have more testosterone, and you know they recognize uh, probably the social influence and in the media of like male warriors, etc. Uh, but men tend to be more, you know, violent, more, you know, more abuse, and uh, they tend to be t- terrorist more often, you know, than women. So, yeah. for example, mm-hmm. um, something they would say is because of gender es- essentialism, you know, thus we are not, you know, we're not just talking about black people or Middle Eastern people, you know, uh, you know, I'm male and I'm I'm putting this on myself as well. Uh, I would be more okay if I was walking through like an airport and then there was more security on me. Um, and and I think that's somewhat that like that somewhat fits in line with this idea of like realism, this idea of like you know, like essentialism, except it gets applied to gender. So wh- what's your what's your response to that? Do you think that's like not? I don't. Know, what do you think about that? Okay, let me. Okay, let me try to understand your question a bit because uh, there I think there's a couple. Uh, there's a couple things going on. So is the question like? we can kind of widely accept gender essentialism. So is it fair to say that there should also be some degree of race real essentialism that would sort of follow? Because if we're okay with gender race uh, essentialism, what is it about race that me, that makes it not okay? Mm, is that the that, question? That That's usually the right wing uh, um, mm. counter argument. Yeah. Mm. I mean, like one example of that is during um, nine after nine eleven in America, they would have enhanced security checks. They said uh, for Muslim appearing people, mm-hmm. you know, and and mm-hmm. I think people in America were largely okay with that because they were like, you know, well, what do you expect? Do you think like some white guy is going to be the terrorist? And the answer, like, kind of turned out to be yeah, you know, like mm-hmm. um, I think that there are times where things 
I think the things that are most dangerous, this is my answer, you know, like I, let's have this as a conversation. Cause I think in a way we should be comparing notes. Right. Cause I don't think I'm an expert on any of this mm. shit. Nothing, um, nothing and the whole, and the pod, the pod has always just been the format is like people trying to figure it out together, you know? And so my, my take on that is that it is often the most obvious things that hide the ball like that it's the thing that everyone's like oh yeah you're right you know like everyone has a feeling that it's right and so nobody challenges and therefore that's the thing that i think ends up being the worst lie and so after 9-11 this notion that was widely accepted which is of course we should have enhanced security measures or or you know uh, uh surveillance on Muslim folks in America, because that's where the terrorists are coming from. Mm-hmm. The The chain of lies and inaccuracies in that obvious statement was so vast that, I mean, it really would take some time to poke through that, you know, but I think with the benefit of hindsight, like so many more white domestic terrorists uh, you know, killed Americans than, you know, ra- radical Islamic fundamentalists. I mean, the right wing is always going to have some shitty thing like, well, why do you think that is? It's because we were surveilling them. But I think that's bullshit. I mean, I think the 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 relative uh, past that, you know, a lot of these like white mili- right wing uh, terrorist groups um, got um, too many to name, honestly, but they were just given a pass. But the but the fallout and the the, the body count from them uh, was much higher. So uh, that was an example, I think, where this obvious acceptance, where everyone was like, "Oh yeah, clearly, you know, that makes sense," even though it's maybe a little bit wrong. It's real. It's realistic. Turns out it wasn't realistic at all. You know. Hmm. See, like I, I, and this is where I feel like. I'm not 100% sure where I stand. Like, I, I don't, I, I haven't come to any answers. And w- what you said just then, and that's something, that's a situation that I've grappled with before. I, I agree with you. I, I think the, um, like, the Muslim thing was definitely pushed and the repercussions was much larger. And it also hit a lot of, for example, white homegrown terrorists. And th- everything you said, like, I completely agree with you. At the same time, though, I, I still can't, like, for me, for example, pretend I had limited, like, uh, security resources. So I was the head of, like, um, I don't know, like, a security at, at an airport. And there was, like, I don't know, like, um, a 95-year-old, like, Korean grandma. And on the other hand, there was, like, a, you know, like, a, like, even a young white male. Like, I would be more tempted to, like, if I had limited resources to... I guess inspect the male more, more often, and, and then I guess your counter argument is like, well, isn't that just fueling the same idea of like you know brown people, uh, are terrorists, and you know, and you know the repercussions of that, and to that I would say, yeah, in a way, it it, it kind of is, but um, uh, I I don't know, like, what, what's your response to that? Uh, I guess if I was like a really sneaky terrorist, then I would put the explosives on the Korean grandmother. <laughs> <You know? laughs> I would find like a really based Korean grandmother and have her smuggle it in. I don't know. I mean, that's a glib response. I mean, yeah. I mean, I think um, to take the question seriously, um, like profiling, uh, all this stuff. Like, I, I think we, 
I think we need evidence. You know, like I, I get that, you know, we think that it's obvious. Like I know, like, you know, if you take the extreme examples, of course, like all everyone's gonna predict that, yeah, we'd probably be better to scan the white man than it is. I I think in the age of COVID, at least in America, where we've completely mishandled this, that I've been surprised at how often what seems super obvious just turns out to be flat wrong. You know, uh, that's a different context, of course, but there are certain things that really seemed obvious to us. Uh, too many to name again, but like that it just, you know, it just wasn't true. You know what I mean? Like, and now with, you know, talking about stuff like, you know, enhanced security for, you know, through profiling and stuff, I think we need extraordinary evidence to justify doing it. I, I think this, I'm not against the notion, like, as in a liberal universalist sense to say that there can never be such a thing as either race or, you know, ethnicity profiling as, as just like a universal liberal liberalist idea that no matter what, we should be willing to die for that principle. Right is is essentially what all these questions are getting at. Is like, would you die for the principle that we should always treat everyone the same when it came to security screening? Right, mm-hmm. which is why we're always talking about security screening at airports. Right, yeah, uh, is a fair question. Like, I don't think so. You know what I mean? But on the other hand, I think that we are a little bit too confident in what is obvious and what's into intuitive, because our track record of you know, like what kind of deaths are we trying to prevent? Like, was anyone worried about security, you know, at a mosque in New Zealand? Were they worried about that? No. But that's where the slaughter happened. Mm. You know what I mean? Like, it, it's, just a, it's just a thing where I think reality is a lot more unknowable and a lot more volatile um, and it is a lazy right wing thing, in my opinion. Again, not dialectical, right? It's not willing to look at the world as in flux, changing all the time. You know, we like we are creatures that cannot really. We're, we're lazy in our assumptions. We're linear in our thinking, and so we will always assume that nine eleven is still the threat, and it's not the threat. But that's what we will assume the threat is, and that's how we get in ourselves into huge trouble. Um, so I, I, I guess my you know, you're right. I do not agree with the liberal universalist uh, thing to say, oh, yeah, these are inviolable, you know, rules of, you know, hu- human rights and conduct, and you should be willing to die on a plane because of it. No. Uh, but on the other hand, I think the right wing assumption that we somehow intuitively know what the right answer is also completely fucking false. Mm, okay. So, uh, so if I was to like mm. try to summarize your your position and, and tell, tell me if I, you know, I get it or, or I misfire, but um, whilst even if there are some, some ten, uh, some trends, um, some statistics we can look at that build like a certain portfolio or a certain uh, a, a, a trend, I would say, um, even if that is the case to implement policies, security policies, economic policies, racial policies around that, the consequences of it misfiring are too um, significant to warrant that in the first place. 
I don't know. If, I, I think that's an a priori argument that I don't agree. I, it, that's not exactly what I'm saying. I think what I'm saying is that we need to be a lot more careful and disciplined and, and like on, like we need to commit to some principles first, like, like even something like a utilitarian or, or max, you know, maximalist principle of like, we just want to save the most number of lives. Okay, mm-hmm. fine. But like, we need data. We need to really be honest about the, the risk, you know? And like, I guess this is an incomplete answer because I don't know if we can do that, but I do know that in respect to the right wing argument to say, we know what we need to, because this, this is what always boils down to is like, I am, I want to address what the right wing position is. I don't want to be burdened by telling, by having to come up with the perfect policy. Okay. I'm just saying that this is the right wing position and I'm going after it. Right. I'm not telling I'm not saying what the right answer is, but I know that's the wrong answer is that the right winger has this, you know, this and Shapiro does this. They're kind of like because they're it's a cultural familiarity that they have with each other. Right. There is a cultural code to the right wing where there is a wink, wink and a nudge, nudge. Like, come on, we we know we know it's the black people committing all the murders. We can't say it because the liberals will come after us, but we know it. Mm-hmm. We know Definitely. it's all the brown people blowing up the planes and shit. We know it, but we can't say it because the liberals. That's what they're doing. And my point is that, you know, that wink, wink, nudge, nudge is uh, not nearly as correct as they think it is. It is totally suspect. And, uh, needs to be heavily interrogated and I don't think they have a good track record and just based on terrorism and the sheer amount of white domestic terrorism and mass shootings, all those things, shooting up black churches in New Zealand, shooting up mosques, going after non-white people, white people committing terrorist acts upon non-white people. That happens a lot more. And I don't see many television shows or movies or other right-wing centric propaganda bringing that to light. Mm, okay, so, so there, it's. I think they're suppressing a truth. Yeah. Okay. I, I I agree with that, and I think I think you know if you were to take a um, how do I say this like a like a a rational or like a um, how do I say this a non-biased view of um of race realism if that's if that's your approach like. Like you would have to also consider like, you know, white males, you know, like you're shooting up schools and stuff like that as a potential yeah. target, which, I'll, and I totally agree with your point, like media doesn't, does not betray them in that sense at all. And I think there is a, you know, like, like, um, like maybe I guess a, a disconnect uh, between media and, and what is happening. So I, I, I guess I'd like to follow up that question with, if, for example, we found out that, um, let's just say, uh, white, white men. Uh, I think there is a statistic, but they tend to be school shooters. They tend to shoot up schools a lot more than like uh, African men or uh, uh, you know, Asian men or Asian women or, or, or whatever. Um, then would you, um, in, in, in that case, if there was a found statistics, do you think that would be enough to uh, warrant some sort of, um, I don't know, some, some sort of policy or, or do you think like, you know, it's more important to look at, you know, why they're committing, or, like, why they've actually ended up in that place and not to take such a punishing 
um, segregating a policy which could further push them down that that road. Um, and, and I guess I would also apply that uh, that that same question, this idea of like you know if there is statistics behind it, is it is it warrant? Uh, for example, um, a lot of the uh, domestic abuse uh, advertisements in Australia, at least, and I I would reason that it would be similar in America. They tend to be targeted at men. Uh, and usually men beating up women. And I guess in my in my eyes, I, I think that is understandable because men tend to kill women a lot more than vice versa. And if I had to target, you know, a, a demographic to, you know, talk about, like, you know, stay your hands, let's not be abusive uh, emotionally, physically, I would choose men. So I, I guess, uh, I don't know, well, what do you think about those two comments or questions? I mean, like... It's not just white people who shoot up schools, you mm-hmm. know, um, but it is the pre- predominantly, I think it is white. And again, I think, you know, if we're taking like a real, you know, uh, empirical rationalist approach to, you know, some notion of pre-crime, right? Like, can we like use data to do like, you know, minority report pre-cog type shit? to prevent the next one can we profile the killer you know like that's i mean that's some deep shit you know what i mean but like okay let's say that that's what we're gonna do um can they factor in race because obviously we would factor in gender i mean without a doubt like you know i i think we need when it comes to things like you know violent crimes you know we need to uh you know we need to wait the odds much more heavily that it's a man that's going to do it for sure. Mm-hmm. Right. And if your model didn't have that, it would be a worse model for it, you know? And I think with race, it's kind of like, I, I, and I, I just get, I just get worried about this because I just don't think race when it comes to something like school shootings is going to be like the big factor, but I think because like we talk about in the social justice world, race and gender, like we talk about race and gender as if they're very similar and almost parallel things, which they're not. Um, But because the discourse has come around to race and gender and because the right wing is in many ways reactionary uh, in those domains, meaning that they want to return to prior notions, earlier notions of race and gender and the hierarchies that, they feel have been, uh, you know, maybe uh, unwisely dismantled or, or or challenged, you know, they're really obsessed with race and gender, right? And so every time these things come up, it's like, okay, well, if we know that it's like 90% going to be a dude, then how come we can't also be like, you know, use that sort of essentialist data or not essentialist, but that sort of like, you know, gender data on race. And I think it's, they ask that question because they're so fixated on their reactionary stance towards social justice that when you say gender, they think race. But I don't know, I doubt that race is a huge factor when it comes to violence in, say, school shootings, whereas I do think gender probably is. But there's probably other stuff that's like way, way more correlated than race, you know, uh, like poverty, for you know, example. You know, like whether the per like you know whether they maybe like socioeconomic background, whether they have like 
one or two parents. I don't know. I'm just, I have no idea. Like people could probably be all pissed at me for saying that, but I'm just saying I would look at those things as why, why are those not being talked about? I'm sure they are, but I'm just saying that for some reason, gender in the right wing, right? When you say gender, it's always a, but how come not for race? Like how come for gender, but how come not for race? And I just don't think that race and gender are all that similar in, 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 in very dissimilar things, but they do form the crux of a lot of social justice discussions uh, because they do share a history of repression all along those lines and a history of social hierarchy based on those lines that the, you know, there is a tendency, I think, to preserve that correlation in domains where it's not justified. For example, notions of pre-crime. Can we predict who's going to commit this crime when we know, and, and it's a convenient one because we know, like you said, and you've said this multiple times now, we all have to accept the fact that violent crimes are by far, by far, something that men do, right? Mm-hmm. And then so we just sort of naturally assume that a similar kind of correlation must exist in race. I don't think it does. I think maybe there are correlations or whatever, but they may actually be more correlated with like second, with other secondary factors like socioeconomic background or family life and stuff that is like affected by race. You know, but to go into where there are things about gender where I think we're fairly comfortable to say that there is clear uh, some sort of genetic essentialism to gender to some degree, like physical size, right? Like, I don't know where the boundary is, but I do know there has to be some genetic difference because we know there's a difference. Like, there's a clear difference between a like you know between x and it's like a binary i mean i i'm gonna get fucking shit on this because gender is non-binary but i'm saying when it comes to chromosomes (laughs) yeah like chromosomal gender right it it is except in in rare cases like a digital thing where and we know where to look for it we know the effects of it and and to an extent and we kind of sort of like take a residue of that certainty over into race and it's just totally inappropriate in race you know uh in my mind at least the same kind of thing it's totally inappropriate but because of the history of of social justice discourse i think the right wing tends to tightly couple the two in ways that are is inappropriate i I think you made a very interesting comment um in the sense that you know we focus so much on race and and like i said like we said at the start that this is definitely you know like like the topic we're talking about, we are fully acknowledging that the right has a like a like a desire to bring back these notions. So whether they're real or not, like like we do recognize that the right is trying to like solidify these ideas. And, and I think you made a really really interesting point, which is such as like we focus so much on gender and race, and there there may be uh, statistical trends, uh, but on the other hand, there's a lot of like other things we don't look at, such as like mental health or um uh you know uh poverty or uh i don't know single parent household and stuff like that or religion i don't know some other stuff we we tend to like focus a lot on gender and race and, and maybe that's just a blind spot that we as a society have like uh i guess just built into our built into our cultural lens because 
I don't know because we, because like you said, like the social justice warriors focus, or, or sorry, the, yeah, the social justice I should say focus so much on the on the uh, on gender, and then race just tends to be pulled along so naturally into that discussion as well. So I I think that that's a that's that's an interesting point, and um, to be honest, for appropriate reasons never, too. Yeah, mm-hmm. I mean, for appropriate reasons, meaning like I'm not criticizing the uh, SJWs or whatever. Uh, for focusing on gender and race, because there's a history there, you know, and um, the 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 way gender and race both mirror and uh, interact with each other in history and in terms of like social power and 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 social dynamics and stuff like that, hugely important, hugely relevant, important things to talk about. Uh, I think the right wing um, uses a tactic where they're saying. It's an absurd, it's an ad, what is it? An ad absurdum kind of argument where they're just like, okay, well, if you think race and gender are so important, then what about this? What about that? And they can't accept the fact that race and gender are appropriate in certain domains, but inappropriate in other domains, you know? And so I, I think that's why we always get these sort of like, you know, thought experiments about like, oh, well, what if it was your life that was on the line? You know, would you stand by these principles or whatever? To which I say, no, I wouldn't. I, I, I don't think it's life and death. But on the other hand, I think, you know, the, the, um, the, that doesn't make their ad, ad absurdium argument any, you know, any more uh, 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 valid, you know, because I, I don't think anyone's making the case that uh, on the left that race and gender you know, are uh, somehow, um, you know, the dividing or the nucleating topic in all domains. I don't think it is. And I think it's the right, I think actually it's the right wing that it's, it's reactionary, meaning it wants to preserve structures. You know, I mean, the right wing is nucleated around a notion of conservatism, supposedly, but yeah, it is. And the, the, uh, you know, the extreme version of conservatism is an actual regression, which is reactionaries. Mm-hmm. And I think reactionaries are looking at st- social structures built around gender and race, which they constructed themselves. They, you know, and I think I, I personally am of the opinion that racism is an invention of necessity, meaning, uh, you know, for example, like African slavery, African slavery in America it was invented because it was necessary and we taught people to be anti-black and to mm-hmm. think of black people as subhuman. It wasn't some thing that, you know, Oh, you know, the white man can't perceive the humanity because they appear so different. No, I, I don't think that's the case. I think they were taught that way because there was a social political or economic necessity uh, for, for for slave labor to to uh, to pick the cotton and, and and all the other things that they needed done in the economy. So what I'm saying is that it is actually the right wing that is introduced race and gender constructs which they are seeking to preserve, and they obfuscate that reactionary tendency through arguments of essentialism, which are in fact residue or effects of the very structures that they created you know so it's a, it's circular the whole thing's circular it's self-reinforcing so and, so could i so could yeah. i ask um for for the uh so for the advertisements that were targeting uh men like the domestic 
abuse arguments, would you would you be more supportive of that? Because in that case, you think gender does play a much bigger role um, in that specific case. And um, yeah, so what do you think? Yeah, I think so because in a way, I think I think part of it is to say that maybe the analysis is to say throwing it out there, right? Like, is this trying to subvert, you know, gender and race constructs that should be subverted? And I think the notion that we have a society where men abuse their partners, their their female partners, uh, and it's a problem, like that is widespread, and we need to have a countervailing social effort uh, to help those victims and to prevent this kind of violence from happening, that's a good thing. I mean, you know, like we just have to get comfortable with like, that is a good thing, right? And we we just, I, maybe that just stems from values. You know, not any sort of empirical sense of right and wrong, but also just like, I don't want to live in a society where men beat their wives or their girlfriends. And I know that that happens because men are, you know, for whatever reason, uh, maybe acculturated into doing this, you know, because I think there are societies where there's more of that. There's societies where there's less of that. And it's probably cultural uh, or economic or something. But whatever it is, it's mutable. It can change. And, you know, if we if you could prove to me that it is absolutely 100 percent unavoidable that men are going to beat their women no matter what we do. Okay, I doubt that you, anyone could ever prove that. But if you look around the world, it's clearly not going to be the case. You're clearly going to be like, okay, there's more domestic violence in these societies versus those. Why is that? What can we do? And in the meantime, can we have some sort of profiling, you know, program of selective profiling uh, to look for the most likely victims, most vulnerable uh, most vulnerable to victimization, those groups, let's lend them a helping hand. That's a far cry, you know, from saying like, hey, you know, I don't think the welfare state should exist because, you know, black people are inherently lazy. <laughs> like, we just have to have the confidence that like our values can point us in the right direction. You know, mm-hmm. okay. that makes sense. So, yeah. so I guess your point would be, um, in this case, it's relevant, but in other cases, it won't be, it might not be, like race and gender might not be so relevant. Um, so uh, could, could I, or also to, to piggyback on that point, so if, you know, like to, at the beginning of this um, conversation, I said, like originally something that got me down this path was seeing something like, oh, cool, like uh, the average IQ of like China is like 105 or something, being like, oh, that's really cool. And then looking like Japan is like 106 and being like, oh, feeling a sense of pride in that, uh, you know, like I said, whether deserved or not. So do you think these, um, these like results, these differences, um, they are just, they are like products of inequality, like, like, um, or, or maybe the test itself is, is skewed towards one form of intelligence. Um, and that there are social reasons which can justify, uh, which can, uh, yeah, justify why there are differences in scores. I mean, from what I understand, I don't know much about this testing, but like my my gut tells, and I've never taken an IQ test, but my gut tells me that it's a flaw with the testing because uh, 
I believe that there have been like standardized testing where they like, see, this is how it's fucked up is like, they don't want there to be a test that reveals a gender difference or a sex difference. So they'll look at the test and they'll say, oh, like men do better than women or women do better than men. And they'll say, why is that? And they look at the test and they'll start seeing like there's bias in the test. And so they'll correct for that bias. And, you know, the way they design the test is to look for equality between outcome of men and women by looking for where the bias within the test is. Oh, we have like questions that were all written by men and it might've assumed uh, pre-existing knowledge. For example, uh, two thirds of the fucking questions are about sports. Mm-hmm. And we're, this is being done at a time when say women were not as interested in sports as men were. Right. So they were like quick to realize that there was a bias in there and they would correct it. And they would say, okay, maybe we should stop writing questions about sports and we can write questions about something that's a little bit more abstract or like, you know, both the men and women would have an equal, you know, there would be no bias to like pre-existing knowledge or understanding about that. That's happened. And so I, I, I suspect that there is a problem with the testing when you see that. You know, and I don't want to go too far into like why one country would have. I mean, there's other reasons, I'm sure. I'm sure like, you know, wealth and education level have something to do with it. Mm-hmm. You know, but is that race essentialism? I don't think that's race essentialism. Uh, does that reveal race essentialism? I don't think so. Again, I think race essentialism is, is the thing where, you know, it should be. It's like war. You know, it's like the last option. And we need a really good fucking reason. Uh, so maybe... If it turns out that there are genetic differences of people on the African continent because malaria is there and therefore there's an adaptation among people who live in Africa um, for sickle cell type diseases and other blood diseases because they render them immune to um, uh, to mosquito-borne malaria, is that race essentialist? Kind of. But there's a good fucking reason for that. And because they want to develop custom tailored, you know, uh, therapies for that, you know, and I think that comes down to values. You're like, that's a good thing. I don't need an empirical proof that that's good, that we are going to produce medicines designed to address malaria. And there's a race essentialist genetic component to that. You know, and we know why we understand why. No one's trying to, you know, extrapolate this into grand theories about race hierarchies. It's just, no, there is a belt, there's a zone, a climactic zone of mosquito-borne diseases that's in Africa. And so, therefore, a lot of Africans have this uh, thing, you know? Is that fair? I think it's fair. I think it meets a standard, you know? Hmm. Does that make sense? Like, yeah, that, that, that it's does. Just, it's just, like, we just need a lot of proof, you know? It's like, why are we doing this? Because I think there's a lot of history that should make us extremely suspicious of these, of the intentions of people who engage in that. So I, I, I feel like we need to, like, you need to, it's like war. Give me strong evidence. You know what I mean? Yeah. Hmm. That's my take. Okay. That's, um, yeah, you've thrown a few things at me that I've never considered actually. <laughs> mm. Mm. Uh, so, so uh, could I, uh, to, okay, uh, this is this is stuff that I'll need to like you know after this sit down and process 
a little longer. Yeah, so sure. can I, I just want to keep throwing questions at you. Um, oh, yeah, sure. Um, what do you think about the, so if, if we recognize there might be some, um, there are differences in, in genetics, like you said, whether that's, you know, the chromosomes or just physical size, uh, which tends to be pretty uniform uh, for what I know amongst like, you know, different races, uh, different communities, you know, men tend to be taller, bigger, uh, more defined jawline or uh, stuff like that. The data will show that. Yeah. Like you can empirically show that. Yeah. Yeah. So, so then like would, and, and like I've started to do some readings on like transgender and, and, and transgender is also like something like another, another area. Like when we talk about essentialism, you know, like how can, you know, how can you say there's essentialism and then have like transgender and, and stuff like that. That's usually something, you know, the right wing is like, well, why don't you just like not identify as a man or, or a woman or whatever. But I, I guess if we can like point at some, um, you know, some differences between, uh, you know, X and Y chromosomes that we can, we can look at the data and say, you know, men tend to be stronger or something. Then do we just adapt like more like a Judith Butler approach to, uh, to like transgender and say it's, it's purely performative. And, and if that's the case, does that mean that like a transgender person is a, uh, I guess they could identify as a, as a man and a woman, but maybe not a male or female, if that makes sense. I mean, Jesus Christ, I think this is a really tough, tough one. Cause I don't know, I don't know much about this at all. Um, my, <laughs> my, I mean, like, I don't know. I mean, like the transgender thing, I think the discourse, the thing, the discourse around it, right. Mm. I mean, has gotten really complicated because, um, you know, I have to say there's an anti-liberal aspect to me, right? Which is like, I am suspicious of the way that transgender issues have been raised to a degree. And I find that it's very difficult and I don't like talking about it because honestly, I don't have much skin in that game. But like, on the other hand, it's like, uh, you know... I don't think that everyone that's raising transgender issues out there is doing so in a way that's like really intentionally like that. I think they're doing it in ways that are suspect that okay. have ulterior motives that are not really about the well-being of transgender people, you know? And, and then I think we get lured into um, debates about gender and, you know, the truth, you know, and it's, I mean, these are deep questions. I mean, we're talking about epistemological questions of, you know, what is gender? What is sex? Mm. What is, what is identity? What is, you know, what are social roles? Like, like when we get into even like, you know, any basic discussion of transgender, I feel like it's, it's slippery because it's like, it pulls us into like these super deep debates that really go into things that I would call philosophy. Like, how do we, you know what I mean? Like, how do we, in, how do we even think of ourselves and things like this? And it's, it's, a, it's very deep. And I think that's part of why this transgender discourse has been, in my opinion, a bit of a wet blanket that can be thrown on other things that we want to suppress to an extent. And I think transgender has been used uh, as a way to throw a wet blanket on overheated race 
uh, and antagonisms in America, right? We'll bring up transgender as a way to sort of, you know, Dave Chappelle talked about this in his, and, and as well as the LGBTQ movement generally, I think a lot of it is white male dominated. And, Definitely. you know, and I think that there is something, and this is a very anti-liberal notion, which I am actually kind of more comfortable with now, that there is liberal bad faith in the way they use LGBTQ and uh, LGBTQ issues as a way to uh, sort of deflect or co-opt, you know, burning questions of race. It's my take. Uh, And it's really sad because when I first heard about transgender a long time ago, obviously I don't remember when the front is long... I've always known about transgender, it seems. Everyone has. I understood it to be a complex form of uh, suffering. Like, it wasn't something you wanted to be. You did not want to be the wrong... You did not, It was unavoidable, but it was like... I mean, think about how early they were doing gender assignment surgeries. I mean, it was a long time ago that they started doing this stuff. And I gather that probably means that the suffering that the people who identified as transgender was immense to justify gender reassignment surgeries all the way back in what, the fifties and sixties. And, you know, I I don't know to what extent I, I can't say that for a fact, but I just imagine that, you know, these were real and intense forms of, well, you know, dysfunction, let's say, and, and the questions that they raise about society and our social constructs of gender so deep that the, you know, it's just not fair, in my opinion, to like raise that with people who are talking about other issues and be like, if you say one wrong thing about transgender, that means you hate, you're transphobic and you hate people who are transgender. And I think that that is a really... That's often said on very bad faith. And I, I don't I don't brook that shit anymore. Like mm. you know what I mean? Like I, I know like I'm not I I don't think most people are, are as transphobic as I think some of these people make people out to be. But in having sort of like taken the discourse to where it has been, I can see it generating more transphobia. And that's not good. Uh, yeah, you're you're <laughs> right. They, these are like these are questions. Like honestly, like I, I still have questions. I, I don't really know the the answer to it. Um, and you know, like this this question of like, you know, when can when is essentialism like you know useful? When is it not useful? And you know, and what does that mean for like for transgender? When the whole point of it is to almost like fluctuate between essentialist ideas of gender um it's a it's a it's a lot to spring on you and um yeah like i i I think i mean i know transgender you know transgender people i know transgender people i i i Um, know a few yeah not many i I know a few but i some yeah they tend to usually from what i from my experience i want to know if your experiences has been like this but they tend to be more male to female for some reason um from what i've seen or maybe that's just what the media highlights more with like i think that's what the media highlights yeah Mm. and and for some reason i think people have more of a fascination with that than the other way 
Mm. And um, you, you rarely know, but I know transgender men and um, not well, but like in the workplace and stuff. And mm-hmm. I think we need like a good enough ethic. Do you know what I mean? Like, I think like for me, I'm just, and I'm just saying this as a person out in the world that like, I don't think people can be fully expected to understand those issues in a way where it's like, if you don't fully get the, don't get it as if assuming there is an it to get and you're not fully like researched and up to date on, you know, what the correct um, language and, and etymology and vocabulary around it is that you're transphobic. I think we need, we probably do need like, especially now because I do, I do think like in a way the, the gender, the issue of gender identity is becoming a little bit more vague with time. And for, for, for reasons, you know, and um, I do think we probably need like a good enough ethic of like, okay, if you know a transgender person in the workplace or, you know, a transgender person in your personal life, like what is the appropriate like thing to do? Like, do you ask about it? Probably not. If the, you know, like you probably mm-hmm. don't just like start off asking about it. Yeah. Um, <laughs> You know, but like, but I think, but there's this bad faith assumption that like people are just going to be disgusted and horrified by it. Maybe there are people like that. Um, and, uh, but I think most, most, in my opinion, most people I know, maybe it's self-selecting are not like horrified by this. They're not scared of it. They're not disgusted by it. I, I don't myself have a problem seeing a transgender woman as just a woman, like, I don't know if that's exactly how they want to be seen or whatever, but for me, it's like, okay, she's a woman. You know what I mean? Like I'm not constantly trying to pierce the veil of the gender identity that they want to project. To me, it's like, you want to project yourself as a woman. uh, I'll see you as a woman, you know? And the, the complexities behind that, I think are a bit hidden from me and probably for good reason, because uh, I don't know if my input into that is of any value. Mm, <laughs> you yeah. know what I mean? Yeah, definitely. So, and I, yeah, I, I, I think my new like I, I used to think about this stuff a lot, and part of me still is like really interested in in these like these grander like philosophical questions of like you know what is identity and you know and you know like how how does society see one person? I think my new position, uh, and it's not it's not robust, it's not formed, is maybe like. I think maybe like despite the logical wordplay and, and complexities and, and these like arguments, maybe like our goal should just be to minimize pain. And if that means like me not fully understanding, you know, like, you know, am I, you know, adopting like you know, gender is performative, this like Judith Butler idea of what gender is, or maybe, you know, me disagreeing with that or, or whatever. Maybe if my position is to like reduce pain then maybe that's enough to call someone a woman um or or someone a you know a a man um and i remember like having a discussion with a friend of mine and uh she she's uh she's very left-wing and she you know she's very supportive of uh, transgender and these issues and i remember just like it was just something that we used to talk about a lot uh because you know i guess none of my other friends were really that interested in the topic and I think at one point she was just like, um, she's like, yeah, I, I think, you know, we talk about this so much, but I think I, like, I, I think she felt that like, because I was questioning 
and like we were discussing this so much and she was very pro-transgender, I felt that she felt I was almost invalidating their struggles with, with these with these questions like, you know, what you know, what what is transgender? Like how how can you, you know, to fall fall into that? And um yeah, for, for me, I guess my interest has always been like I've I've seen these people as like people who um, you know, unfortunately have been assigned or, or reassigned or whatever, like a wrong gender. And I guess my position is like, whilst, you know, maybe me and you and, and some other people can like accept, I, I feel like the right wing or, or the right uh, will only come to like accept them if we, if we are able to like logically like almost reason with them. So I've always been like interested, is there a way to like find a logical path that like clearly points at what is like, you know, gen, you know, transgender or what is not transgender, but maybe that's like, maybe that's not even necessary and i'm just wasting my time i mean i'm more i think i'm a little bit more humanist in this in, in that sense like i think that we need to live with ambiguity in our lives like do you know what i mean like i don't think that we're always heading towards more and more articulate uh you know rational uh objective understandings of things i think that as human beings like we just have to be okay with ambiguity and that when we're in a society where there is more ambiguity about gender, you know, I think there's more ambiguity now than before, you know, maybe that itself is alleviating of pain to people. I think if we were living in a society where gender was like strictly enforced, you know, mm -hmm. like gender role, like gender identities were like extremely polarized, mm -hmm. like for people that are transgender in what, for whatever reason, uh, that that would cause like acute pain, then, um, that's terrible. And then now we're in a society, hopefully, where, uh, you know, it's not as painful. You know, there's more what, quote, gender fluidity and stuff. And uh, some people, I think, reactionary mindsets uh, don't like the ambiguity. Right. They, 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 they want and, and I'm not saying that this is like a moral failing on their part, but they are fundamentally reactionary in the sense that they are more comfortable living in an older, you know, a previous state Definitely. of society and they want us to roll back. Yeah. And in that process, now I'm not saying that that's wrong, but in trying to effectuate a rollback of society, you know, I think like it, it has to be forced and you got to force people into it. Whereas how did we get from there to here? I, I think that was probably quite a bit of natural, what I would say dialectical, uh, uh, dynamics, meaning this is the way of the world. We were trending this way for whatever reason. No one forced it this way. This is what we became. Mm -hmm. But the reactionary wants to intervene manually and turn it back to what it was. And I think that is why I am anti-reactionary and I'm anti-right-wing because that's what they want to do. They want to roll it back and force it. You know, And I think with transgender in a way, you know, it's a form, of, you know, to the extent that there are uh, people who are really, I have not seen it, actually. I think maybe it's self-selecting, but apparently there are people who are extremely anti-transgender and transphobic. Um, like TERFs? I guess. Yeah. Uh, oh, yeah. Like J.K. Rowling. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Okay. Um, you know, I would say that they are, and you can sense this in J.K. Rowling. She's trying to say, my God, you've lost your way. 
what have you done? We need to get back to, you know, where we were before on gender, which was a, for many people, a horrifying time. I don't know mm-hmm. why we would necessarily want to roll it back to then, but she's saying there's a natural, there, you know, the natural way was this and we've gotten away from it. I don't think that's true. I think, you know, and the left wing to me is more dialectical in the sense of the world is subject to change. It evolves, it trans, it morphs, it, you know, it, it reacts to itself. It's in flow. It's in, it's not ever, you know, stable uh, and, uh, and set. And so, you know, I think I'm just more philosophically aligned with the left wing to say, mm-hmm. like, I don't know if this is a great place that we've gotten to, but this is where we got to. And yep. we should be thinking about where we're going to go to from here. Like any notion of trying to wind this back is, you know, uh, it's going to be disastrous, right? So I also think the um, with the J.K. Rowling, I think part of her her fight, her uh, or, or what what Turf's belief is that like by opening it up to like you know to met to uh, let's just use the word males by opening up you know the 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 label of of women to to males. I think there's a fear that like their are their perspective, their fight, their reality, or their just their their. I guess I would just use the word reality gets like watered down by intruders who are now like masquerading or taking on their fight or speaking on their behalf. And I think there is that there is that fear now. Whether that you know whether that justifies their you know their comments or not, I I think that's that underpins a lot of their. Um, their words. Yeah, but that that operates on a form of suspicion that that's what these transgender people are doing, you mm. know. And um, mm. uh, well, show the you know make the case. I'm not saying that that can't possibly happen, but I think they need to make the case. Mm. But I think that again, it's a little bit of the wink, wink, nudge, nudge of saying like you know you know how these people are, you know how these you know, these like pro-trans you know and they're very like they rely on this like very nasty condescending stereotype of a group of people who are like you know those crazy you know marxist leninist camp you know those campus freaks Mm -hmm. you know the ones that like wore like olive green shit and had all these piercings (laughs) and and you know what the disdain is the disdain was that they were not socially welcome in those groups Mm. you know And, and and i and i think that um you know, a lot of this is 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 saltiness at at the um, social exclusion that perhaps they felt. You know, and and um, I, I remember I forgot who it was. It was like, what's his name? Um, one of those right wing commentators, one of the white guys. Uh, not Ben not, Shapiro. No, um, he's like more of a he's more of like a established guy. I fuck it. I forgot his name. It doesn't matter, but he's like one of those, right. Not a Rush Limbaugh. Would it be Crowder? No, he's like fucking cable news level guy. It's oh, like, okay. it's like, it, it, yeah, it's, uh, I, I forgot his fucking name, but like, it doesn't matter. But his, mm-hmm. his point, he, he said this thing about like AOC and he was like, you know who she is. She's like one of those, you know, stuck up, beauty queen types who was like prom queen and she wouldn't date you because she thought she was better than you and all this stuff you know and you're like that's what it is embarrassing it is embarrassing glenn um beck that's who it was oh no glenn beck yeah 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 beck yeah glenn beck and he was like saying all this stuff and i'm like that's pretty revealing you know i think there is a way in which they feel socially excluded 
and looked down upon. And I think that's now the interesting thing in Trump's America is that, you know, the right wing, the alt right, so to speak, was a more of a sort of like underclass right wing, you know, whereas traditionally the right, so to speak, was, you know, a, um, you know, a, a sort of moderate Republican pro-business yep. responsible, quote, responsible, mm-hmm. you know, i.e. capitalist class, yep. you know, uh, guy um, who was favorable to the whites. Right. Um, I think the Republican Party sort of got co-op, you know, sort of got an insurrection. I think that's a valid word for what happened, that the sort of underclass of the right wing took over the party. And you see what happened here. Yep, and I think those are they're reactionaries. You know, I think like in a way, like now we have a cleaner split in America. It's like you have the conservatives. They want to. F- and I think J.K. Rowling is a bit of, a, you know, I think I think she's a bit of a conservative. I don't know if she's necessarily like a reactionary, whereas and I think the conservatives are to say, like, look, everything is fine as it is. Don't don't just don't change anything. And the reactionary is a rewind button where they're like, you know, we need to go back. And what I've seen now is that the sort of like, you know, the, the sort of underclass insurrection on the right is the reactionary, is the reactionary wing of the U.S. You know, make America great again. I mean, how more on the nose could you be? Mm, definitely. Um, whereas there, I don't see there being a real, quote, progressive left that says like, you know, no, we need to advance. We need to go to the next stage. Uh, I think what they're trying to work out is some sort of insurrection within the Democratic Party. They're playing politics at this point. I don't know if they have a political vision. Uh, but the Democrats, you know, the mainline Democrats are also very conservative in a sense. They, they're hand in hand with the um, conservative, you know, the, the sort of typical conservative Republicans where they're like, yeah, every, we just need everything to stay the same. Exactly. Well, <laughs> right? Yeah, like, definitely. And, and I guess that's that, that was part of the reason why so many people moved towards Trump, because even though he was like, crazy and he was just like so out there and like rude and almost disgusting in a way he was just like um there's like a big f you to the mainstream and uh, yeah. I, I think there was yeah there, there was a real resentment in the uh, the white poor working class that had just been like uh, almost been devoured by like neoliberal policies and 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 they just like threw their hand at anyone and and, and like you said trump is a reactionary he, he wants to you know turn back time um and and they wanted to, I guess, return to a a place where maybe gender or race is more like defined and and defined in in their favor, with them on the hierarchy. And yeah, you can you can see that in, in the in the Trump uh, political movement. Yeah, I mean, without that, I mean, they you know they 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 really, um. You know, and it's not without some level of and oh, okay. Well, get, getting back to this whole thing about Asian, because this is an Asian American podcast. Um, you know, I felt like part of the reason that this question uh, resonated, this issue resonated so much for Asian Americans, particularly Asian American guys, right? Like that's what I was really interested in when I went online was because I noticed that Asian American guys, and I and I and I suspect Australia is different because the racial uh, makeup in Australia is not quite like the U.S., right? But eh, maybe it is. I don't know. But there's more. Um, there's a lot of Asians in Sydney. Like there, there, there's suburbs where like you walk around. I'm not. I, and once I I can't really speak on behalf of Amer- of America or Americans, but there are some sur- suburbs where there's quite a lot of Asians, and I think the per percentage, 
I think there are more Asians in Australia. There's like, it's like 15% from memory. I could be wrong. Yeah, that's pretty high. Yeah, I mean, I think in America, it's it's like something probably like closer to like 6 or 7%. Mm-hmm. Um, but we have a huge population. But like the, um, but the, but the point being that, um, you know, I, I, I felt that as on the whole that Asian American guys were fairly conservative in a way. And uh, generally speaking, when you look at the same sorts of groups on campus and social circles that you would call left wing, the social justice circles, that Asian guys were not particularly well represented in those Mm, groups. And Asian guys did not seek those groups out per se. And I'm not sure that they had any reason to be there because... I think that there was, at least in America, a sense that Asian guys were sort of, our gripes were about being always next in line to white privilege. Like, we were never quite there. We were always the, like, our complaints were like, oh, we're the perpetual foreigner. Well, what's the solution to the perpetual? I want to be seen as a full American, right? And it's like, oh, the glass ceiling. This is another thing that bothers Asian Americans. Well, what's the solution to the glass ceiling? Break the ceiling and let me join the, you know, the directors and CEOs. That's what I want. You know, and, you know, all this. These were very, like, racial gripes about not having access to whiteness. Yeah, and and at the same time, trying to preserve the hierarchy. And, like, and and the gripe was really that we weren't the ones sitting on top of the hierarchy. And that, you know, we felt like we had earned our place. We we study harder. We work harder. And fundamentally, you know, it should be us up there. You know, and, um, and. Like I said, um, maybe I said this off off air, but um, your podcast um, on the uh, Simu Lu and the yeah Simu Lu and the um, his his role as Shang Chi really you know did a really good dive into that because I felt like it really highlighted that for a lot of Asian guys who get into like um, race and left wing politics um, at first there is a you know understandably and I'm I'm not you know I'm not criticizing them in many ways. I came to the to to this to these ideas through this avenue as well, but there's a sense of like injustice, like why why aren't I represented? You know, why aren't why can't I turn on the TV and see me? How come I can't go on Instagram and see me with like you know brown girls, white girls, uh, Asian girls, you know, like black girls and stuff? How come I'm always the foreigner? But um, I think I think in a desire to to I guess be you know the the guy on top that we reaffirm the social hierarchy. Yeah. And I, and I think that's interesting because the reason now the connection that I was, a lot of us, I think um, who started plan A, we had this instinctual uh, concern that the alt-right would be uh, attractive to Asian guys is because I think that the quote white underclass has similar gripes. It's like, how come I can't get the girl? How come it's always like, you know, some like urban educated, you know, minority guy that's like getting all the girls on TV or why is it that, you know, um, like people like, like me, like, white white guys without great educations are always made fun of on tv like how come i don't get any respect you know like there was a lot of class condescension that was sent their way and i felt like a lot of that was close enough 
uh, to race condescension that Asian men faced, that there was a second tier status, uh, you know, sort of chip on our shoulder. And that what we wanted to do was not to fundamentally question the nature of these hierarchical systems at, uh, you know, in a deep structural life-changing way, right? But instead uh, to sort of argue around the margins and say like, you know, why, you know, oh, oh, you're just, you're just biased against like, you know, white guys. And I, and I saw these similar arguments going, oh, you know, this, you have it out for Asian guys. But I noticed that, you know, it was always a very like, uh, Asian guys were always looking for the thing that singled them out. It was like, yes, yes, black men this, but then, you know, black guys always get to get, you know, they get the girl on screen too, or like black guys, yes, yes, but they're seen as tough and people are scared of them. Or yes, yes, they're not, yes, they're discriminated against, but nobody doesn't think of them as men. You see Asian men have this part. And it was a very particularized thing where it's like, I'm not satisfied with any other description of, you know, of, uh, of, of, of racism, uh, that doesn't exclusively belong to me. And, mm. uh, and even the attempts to find that were not true because like, for example, like with emasculation, emasculation happens all the time to other races. We just don't look for it. You know, like we don't think it's a problem. We're like, Oh, well there, it's a range of depictions, but every Asian guy is emasculated. Uh, but again, if you look that that's, that's also cherry picked in a way. So like, it just made me think that this form of griping was a very similar to the alt-right form of woe is me, the white guy, you know, and, uh, the left, you know, and then there was a disdain for all those SJWs and their ridiculous shrill politics. And I'm not saying that they're always right. I mean, there's, there's a bunch of fucking liberal bullshit going on with what they say for sure. But, you know, I felt in a way like, why don't Asian guys as a non-white people, like, why are they not therefore trying to add or contribute uh, to the race discourse that's going on? Like, why aren't we doing that? And then I realized, oh, some of us were doing, it. <laughs> you know, like <laughs> there are people that were doing it. And uh, but, Asia, you know, we had to try harder. Mm. And so, you know, that's 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 what it is. You know, I just think like. Yeah, I, I'm not totally happy with the left in America, and I'm sure you're not happy with the left in Australia, but I philosophically am more aligned with them and in terms of their willingness to, uh, you know, entertain new ideas, um, accept the urgency of change uh, versus these fucking reactionaries. Mm -hmm. I'm like, dude... We, I, we, there ain't a time in history I'm willing to roll back to where everything was cool. Like I'm not your fucking sidekick, bro. Like I'm not, mm. I'm not playing. You know what I mean? Like I'm not going back to that. You know, to that shit. Yeah. You know? Have so. you ever read the um, a, a little off topic, but have you ever read the um, the Tao Te Ching? Uh, no, I know what that is. I never. Re is it readable? Is it like you could read it, or is it like a series yeah, of diagrams it, or something? Oh, well, it, no, it, it's a series of. Uh, I think. It's oh, that's like, the I Ching. Yeah. Uh, yeah, I, the I Ching is a. Uh, it, it's just like diagrams and, and stuff like that. Mm -hmm. um, the Tao Te Ching is the um, mm -hmm. the one that Lao Tzu wrote, and the first oh, line okay. um, of, of the uh, of, of the book, uh, I think maybe summarizes like you know like your position, or maybe a position that I'm slowly coming to, which is um, 
you know, like the DAO that can be named is not the internal DAO. So any position which can be fixed, it automatically loses its like the universality because it loses a mm. lot of its flexibility. So anytime you try to like, you know, roll back to the past, or you try to, you know, talk in, in, in black and white absolutes that inherently loses the flexibility um, of the world. I think, I, I mean, isn't there, there's this analogy, I forgot where it comes from, but it's like, you can either, you can either float downstream or you can swim upstream or you can swim with the current, but you're going to go that way. <laughs> right. So it's up to you. <laughs> yeah. How are you going to get there? But yeah. like, yeah. you know, you can either take it easy or you can fight, but it doesn't matter. You're going to end up in the same place, whether mm. you like it or not, because, mm. uh, you know, it's the, um, the currents are taking you there. Mm. and uh it's a form of evolution right and i and i and i just saw a lot of like really um online i saw a lot of rightfully angry asian guys and uh but they they weren't really willing to accept this notion that they might need to change yeah definitely. right like they had a definitely. lot of gripes that the world should change to suit them mm-hmm. and which isn't totally false either i think you know we've got to you know, you've got to project yourself out into the world and, and all that stuff. But on the other hand, it's like, there was a real refusal to, uh, to change. And I think that came maybe from, you know, just a a lot of experience just being like told to be compliant within the system. Like in a way, like I feel like Asian guys were already changing all the time, but to suit, you know, the demands of like a racist society. Mm. Like, you know, they were always they were already constantly fighting against themselves all the fucking time. And then here comes along this other demand now to keep, you know, yo, you've got to change your ways to, you know, so it was just constantly like, you know, you know, being told that you've got to change and conform, Uh, you know, because conformity is a kind of change. Right. You're you're saying like, oh, I don't naturally fit the system, but I've got to change myself to fit it. So conformity, it's its own form of change. And I'm sympathetic to that. I mean, I'm sympathetic, but on the other hand, it's like, um, it's the way of the world. And I think everyone's mm. doing it. And, um, you know, l- l- last thing, it. L- l- last <laughs> yeah. thing, l- last comment, um, just, just, just yeah. to touch, just to end, end on that, uh, end on that note, uh, because yeah, let's keep it relevant. We talked about race realism and stuff like that. Uh, let's, I guess, yeah. bring it back to the, to the Asian um, community, like I think ever since the the Black Lives Matter and just with the, I feel like the left has been progressively getting stronger ever since like 2016. I feel like the right or the alt right has started to like diminish, and you see like these like right wing figures like Lauren Southern and stuff have started to lose like the the cultural impact and Pepe memes have kind of like you know started to like move out of the spotlight. I I felt that there's been a like, like everything that you pointed out about, like, like you know, the Asian community wanting to buy into the system. I, I felt like ever since, like the last two or three years, there's been a pushback, and more Asian guys, more Asian girls, more Asian people are just looking at the system and seeing it as like maybe flawed and, and something that shouldn't be preserved. And I guess from an American perspective, I'd love to hear like, do you feel like that's the case, and that like we're moving towards that direction? Uh, 
Yeah, I mean, to some extent, I mean, because I think, again, like when I say I'm philosophically aligned with the left, I don't think it's a matter of preference. I, I actually think it's a matter of truth, right? Like we, we really, in, in, in the U.S., like the way we think about politics, like it, because we're so goddamn obsessed with this notion of like individual choice, like as if I can just choose everything about life, you know, mm-hmm. uh, that, that, that political identity is just a matter of preference and choice. And I don't think so. I think that there is a truth element to politics as well. Like there's some things that are just truer than others. There are some political positions that are truer than others. You know what I mean? I think that's a leftist part of philosophy, particularly, you know, things like dialectical materialism, things like that, that are the point of it is to say, and maybe it is connected to something like the Tao is like there, there, there is a sort of way of the world, you know, and, uh, and it's not just a matter of your preference. And so you're right. I do think that the right wing has in a way run out of gas, but I don't think it's dead. And I, and I think that perhaps like, like how did how did fucking Weimar Germany become what it is today, which is a sort of like liberal uh, democratic state mm-hmm. uh, in a way that's much more committed to those liberal values than America? Probably had right? to you know go through the Nazis. It had to like you wonder sometimes. Yeah, you wonder sometimes. I don't I don't know if it had to per se, but I know it did happen. And whether yeah, and I think we can make arguments as to whether it had to happen or not. But that was the way of the world, without a doubt, mm. is that's what happened. And it had to had this paroxysm of just absolute fucking insanity. And um, and I worry and I, and the reason I bring that up is because I worry if that's where America's headed is. And we're getting close to it, you know, uh, every day, cl- closer and closer. Um, and I and I sometimes wonder, um, you know, is because I don't think this is history such a smooth process where it's like, oh, yeah, every day it looks like the right wing is uh, kind of falling out of favor and everything's going the right way. I don't think that's how it works. I mean, I think it's like a fucking earthquake and you're getting we're we're, we're getting shaken around. And, and what we think of as some trend is really just a flashback from some even bigger backlash. And it's going you know, like we're getting knocked around. It's super volatile right now. Mm-hmm. And so I don't trust any prediction uh except for the one that says watch out you know be really cautious because mm-hmm. at this point i think those kinds of things we have to like prepare ourselves for like prepare for hope for the best prepare for the worst yeah and i think that the uh potential that america becomes a genocidal type country not in the exact same way as germany of course but in that at a similar scale of, you know, insanity, uh, it's not out of the question, in my opinion. So I, I don't feel good now. I feel much more on edge than I did three years ago or four years ago. Mm. Yeah. Australia might be different, but here in America, man, it's fucking crazy. America's like, we have the nukes. See, like we matter, unfortunately. That's, that's the terrifying part. Like if, if America didn't have nuclear bombs, it would it'd be oh, yeah. you know it's just it's like almost yeah. self disintegrate but like because it's got the nukes and because it really wants to start a war a hot war with china like it's pretty terrifying it is terrifying and and you guys are sort of closer to the action mm. you know and i think it's i think in a way australians 
feel the heat more. And in a way, like I would say that the sinophobia is both more intense in Australia, it seems, but also the, you know, like, I don't think what's his name, John per- Perger or, or the guy that did that. He did this documentary called The Coming War of China. Oh, it's an um, Australian guy. Um, Burger? Pillard, Pilja, Pillard, some of that. Yeah, I know who you're talking yeah. about. Yeah. I like him. I mean, I think he's the type of person who's like taking the threat seriously. Mm. You know, I think, I don't know what he's, what, what his, what his uh, reputation is, but I think like Australia, it makes sense that they would produce, y'all would produce someone like him because maybe you guys are closer to the fire, to the heat. Mm. Whereas over here, I, I like, I don't think people are taking this seriously. Like there is no pil- pilger here. Like there's mm. no, there isn't someone who's like really raising the alarm bells. Like, yo, you realize that you're poking the nest of another nuclear power. Mm. Like, yeah. you sure you want to do that? Like, this isn't like fucking around with. Uh, Iran. I mean, even oh, honestly, it's not Iraq. even like fucking around with North Korea and they're a, a, yeah. a, a, a nuclear power. Exactly. Right. Like, it's not even like fucking fucking around with them, and that itself would have been horrifying. Mm. Uh, it's still horrifying the notion that war could break out in Korea. Uh, that's horrifying. But with fucking China is, is world ending yeah, in and its potential. Why would you do that? Yeah, it, it's crazy. And um, and actually, yes, I'm pretty sure it was yesterday, Scott Morrison, who is the current day um, prime minister, and uh, Kevin Rudd both came out and said, a hot war is no longer inconceivable between the two powers. And I'm like, good Lord, please, this is, please, anything anything but a hot war because it's gonna like it's going to it's going to absolutely ruin to like the entire world and i think that the difference between someone who's left-leaning in their political and see i think in the modern world in a way like political because we're liberal we live in a fucking liberal frame like we think political identity or political beliefs again, is a function of choice. It's a function of preference. But I think it's in a different world, in a different setting, we would call these philosophies. Like, what's mm. your philosophy on life? And I think the left-leaning philosophy would be like, look, I don't think this shit is under your control per se. Mm-hmm. Like, I don't think that, you know, the potential for war is necessarily going to be like, oh, it's just a matter of whether we want to have a war. Like, this, the mechanism that gets us there may not be under anyone's control. Mm. Right. So you better start thinking about positioning now because, you know, when something happens and we I mean, the United States went through this several times, like we should know better, like with the with the Cuban Missile Crisis, like it's just because both sides don't want war. Both sides are rational. Both sides know that, you know, MAD is the is going to be the thing Mm -hmm. like that doesn't mean that we can just back down. That's the scary part. And we learned this. We fucking learned this. Like we've studied this. This is forms the entire basis of like, you know, of of sort of American approach to uh, to war is like, you know, when you get into these crises, there even if both sides want to back down, doesn't mean either side is going to back down, mm. which is a bizarre outcome. But that's the case, and I don't know why they're they're tempting it. And I think the only reason is because Trump. I I, I mean that's. I really think like there's something happened in America where, you know, we threw a lot of shit out the door and we start, we were wanting to in trying to turn things back, you see, in trying to become reactionary, we sort of almost accelerated the process Definitely. of, 100%. you know, moving forward to it, to a scary degree, but we ain't going back. I don't think we're going back to shit. I think we're heading somewhere new, but the question is, 
are you going to go through a major war to get there? That's up to us. I don't know. I don't know why the fuck we're doing this, but mm. and yeah, again, that, my philosophy is yeah, my philosophy is these reactionary types. They are anti-Taoists. <laughs> they are <laughs> refusing. You know, they're refusing to accept the way of the world, and they're trying to hubristically impose human control over systems that are not subject to human control. And look what happens. It's going to be a disaster if we mm. keep doing this. So <sighs> let, let the let the Tao be free, I guess. <laughs> Let it, let it, let it, let it flow, man. Don't fight it. You know? <laughs> Why are you doing this? Why are you cool, doing bro. this? So yeah, that was a good talk, man. I, I, I that was, that was fun. Uh, yeah. hundred percent. Um, any, any final thoughts or, uh, I, I guess, uh, I guess firstly, just, uh, like I said, I, I did this off, off, um, off air. So I said now just like mad, mad respect, um, to, you know, what planet is doing and, you know, really do appreciate you guys for giving me that, that sort of language to discuss things like this and um you know keep fighting the good fight and please good lord no war no nuclear war with china yeah i hear that all right man cool, cool. thanks a lot all right peace bro